thank you so much for the readings, Carol. Friends, great to see you this morning. Um, we are talking about faithfulness, but I do want to start by talking about the selfie. Now, they've, um, they've gone mainstream, haven't they? Um, back in 2013, selfie was added to the Oxford English Dictionary. That same year, it was named Word of the Year. Today, Australians, we take two million selfies every single day. And um, as you sort of think about it, you know, it's a big change. Back in the day, I think if, if someone had taken a picture of themselves, you'd think, well, okay, they just didn't have any friends there to take the picture of them. And you, you sort of understood that. But now it's almost a predominant form. They are new. But what is not new is this underlying desire to shape how others view us. Um, sociologists these days refer to this as identity work. And it's not new. Uh, for thousands of years, artists have been creating self-portraits, whether it's in caves, whether it's, um, I guess, classical paintings, whether it's early photography or, or modern art. Uh, that's not new. And so I guess what is new is that we can all do it, you know, given the camera phones that are available, given the, the lighting fixtures, the filters that we can whack on, even a, a bit of Photoshop, uh, some people use it to fix things up. We can very easily and effectively choose how we present ourselves to others, which is to say that more and more of us are choosing who we are. Now, this hasn't happened in isolation. Uh, others tell us that the calculated decisions that we might make to define how others see us is really just one aspect of a broader movement, which is our search for what is called the authentic self, where authenticity means being um, what is called your, your true self, so making your own choices and sticking with them regardless of what other people say and actually regardless of how those choices impact others. Uh, about the new authenticity, it's been said, the good that I achieve in life is bound up not with how much I serve others or how much I've obeyed God or, or how much I've maintained the family tradition or how much I've served my aged grandmother, or whatever. It's bound up with how authentically I live. And that authenticity is bound up with the freedom of my choice to do what I jolly well please and to live my life in that fashion. That is widely viewed and praised in our media, our plays, our films, so many things in this secular age. Okay, so where do we see this? Well, you know what, some of us are probably um, interested in how we present ourselves to others. And so, for example, maybe we do care about what our social media accounts say to us, how they present us. But actually, what about the commitments that we make? You might commit to doing something. You might commit to turning up somewhere at a certain place a certain time. A friend says to you, hey, remember, we've got that thing tomorrow night. I'll see you there. It's going to be great. And you say, yeah, totally, I'll be there. 
But then the next day rolls round and actually you decide not to go because at that time you're not really feeling it. That wouldn't be you to go. Which is to say that for some these days you actually commit to everything and then only decide at the moment whether you're actually going to do it. That's actually one place where we can see the the new authenticity in our lives. And actually, it's serious, right? What, What it's saying is that it doesn't matter what you've agreed to do in the past. The most important thing is being true to yourself in the moment. And so faithfulness, under that scheme, it's not a big deal. But if you, you don't feel like doing it, then don't do it. You've got to be true to yourself. Well, in this series, we've been learning about the fruit of the Spirit. And this week, we're looking at faithfulness. And part of what we'll need to do today is actually to think about faithfulness and why it is good. Why it's a virtue, why it is something that we should pursue. And so, let's get stuck into that um, What we're going to do is start by taking a step back because there are a couple of translation issues that we probably should be aware of. Uh, The first is the word for faithfulness. Um, The word, specific words that used in our list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. In the Greek, the word is pistis. Now, it's actually very common in the New Testament. It is the word for faith. And so faith in the sense of believing in someone or or something, or or even better, it means trust. It is that common faith word. But it can also mean faithfulness. So that's someone in whom confidence can be placed. And so what does it mean here in Galatians 5.22? How should we understand this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit? Well, We should note that so far in Galatians, Paul has used this same Greek word 20 times and each time he's used it in the sense of faith. So not faithfulness, faith. And so why would we choose faithfulness here? Well, the simple answer is that context is always king. Now, what I mean by that is the other virtues that are listed here, they are either an attitude or a response that we are to have toward others. And so given that, faithfulness rather than faith, I think becomes the obvious choice. But then faithfulness to whom? Is it God's faithfulness to his people? Now, that's a common application in the Bible of faithfulness. You can see an example of that in Psalm 33 verse 4, where the corresponding Hebrew word, Amen, is used in the Hebrew and, and pistis is used in the Greek translation of that. That verse says, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Okay, so if you ever wonder what amen means, there you have it. In the Hebrew, it means faithful. From that flows the more common usage, I guess, that we're used to in the English, which is so be it, which is what we mean at the end of a prayer. But the point here is that the Greek word here, pistis, it it could be referring to God's faithfulness to his people. That's one option. Or it could be referring to the faithfulness of God's people to God. I've got an example of this one for you in Matthew 23, verse 23. I think you should be able to see it on the screen there. Woe to you, 
teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Okay, so that's a second option there. It's faithfulness to God. A third option, which may or may not be that common in the New Testament, sort of depends on on where you fall on a number of issues, is Jesus' faithfulness to the Father. Now, on this, let me just say, regardless of which particular verse you think may or may not be saying that, that Jesus is faithful and obedient to the Father is a massive New Testament theme. Um, Here I'm thinking of John's Gospel, I'm thinking of the letter to the Hebrews. And so, that's a third option, Jesus' faithfulness. However, possibly the least common is actually what I think we've got here in Galatians, which is faithfulness to one another. Again, why go with faithfulness to others? Well, again, context is king. When all the other virtues in the list are referring to our horizontal relationship with other Christians, with other people, well, I think that's how we're to understand this one too. And so let's get into it. Let's think a bit about faithfulness, our faithfulness to others. One question we might have, in what sense does faithfulness come from the Spirit? Now, I ask that because some of us, we may have already been pretty faithful people, so fairly reliable people, before we became followers of the Lord Jesus. Perhaps we were known for being reliable. Perhaps we were known for being people you could take at your word. And so how does that work? In what sense does the Spirit grow faithfulness in us? Well, let's have a look at the passage that was read for us from 1 Timothy. Uh, In these verses, the Apostle Paul gives thanks to the Lord Jesus and he writes, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Okay, now in this verse we've got that same Greek word pistis and it's been translated for us as trustworthy. It could just as easily have said um, faithful. So it's the same word that we are considering today. But at what point did God consider Paul to be trustworthy or or faithful? Well, if we know much about the Apostle Paul, we'll know that at his conversion and being chosen to take the gospel to the nations, that, that sort of happened pretty much at the same time. And so how could Paul have already demonstrated his faithfulness at the moment of his conversion? Is God saying that Paul was faithful before he became a Christian? Well, no, I I don't think so, actually. And we know that because of the hint, I think, there in verse 12. Because there it says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength. And so, how could Paul be considered worthy of trust at the moment of his conversion? Well, we're told, aren't we, is because the Lord began strengthening him from that moment, from the moment that Paul was changed from being a a fierce persecutor. Well, God began strengthening him. God began growing his faithfulness, his trustworthiness. And so is there a difference between Christian and non-Christian faithfulness? Well, actually, I wonder if that question's been bubbling away in the background throughout this series, as we've looked at some of the other 
fruit that comes from the Spirit. That question of how do we know if, if our strength in that particular area is from the Spirit or whether it's from somewhere else? So if we think about faithfulness, you know, again, what if I'm already really good at that before I became a Christian? Now, what if I had parents who really drilled into me the, the importance of doing what you said you would do, of, of being five minutes early so you'd never be late, of, of keeping a record of, of dates and appointments so that you never missed a single one? How do we know? Well, you might remember at our intro night for this series, Philip, our speaker, made the point that Paul uses the singular word for fruit. Just that one word to describe love, peace, patience, all the virtues, how they grow in a a spirit-filled person. Now, what that means is that fruit from the spirit, they actually grow together. And that's a key point. They grow together. You don't grow in one without growing in all the others. And so if you're super faithful, but if you're not kind in any sense, then your faithfulness, it is not from the Spirit. It's not from God strengthening you. It's from your temperament. It's from your upbringing. It it could be from your own vanity, always wanting others to think of you as being organised and reliable because to you that's an attribute of a, a good person. It could be from many places, but it's not from the Spirit. But actually, there is another way to tell if your faithfulness is God-given, if it's from the Spirit or if it's from elsewhere. And that's the whole question of why. Why are we faithful? Spirit-given faithfulness is faithfulness because God wants you to be faithful. That's what defines spirit-given faithfulness. It's being faithful because God wants you to be faithful. That's your motivation. So let's move into that. Why does God want us to be faithful? Partly it's because faithfulness is an attribute of God. So God himself is faithful and so he wants his people to be faithful. You don't need to read too much of the Bible to work that out. I remember hearing from a a person who, as an adult, became a Christian and started reading through the Bible, first page to last. And what this person just couldn't get over was just how faithful God was. Faithful even when his people were not. He just, this was incredible. He thought, this is madness. God is so faithful. He's such a, a pervasive theme in Scripture, God's faithfulness. But we do need to push a bit harder. Why is God faithful? And why does he want the same for his people? Well, God's commands, they are never arbitrary. And so really what we're asking at this point is why is faithfulness good? Why is it actually a good thing that God is faithful and he wants us to be faithful? Well, actually, it doesn't take too long to to think about that to, to come up with an answer, does it? Now, what happens when people don't do what they said they would do? Well, actually, not much happens, right? Imagine if if that were the case, people just didn't do what they said they would do. You wake up and there's no electricity. I guess the people at the grid didn't really want to do what they said they were going to do. 
The shops aren't open. Why is that? Well, the people didn't do it. Well, you, you get the point, right? It doesn't take too long to think about why faithfulness is so good. But look, if it is good, why do we all struggle with it? And I say all of us because we all struggle with faithfulness. Just last week, one of my daughters made me promise that I would play Rocket League with her on Sunday afternoon. Well, it didn't happen. Something came up. I couldn't do it. So that's me. I've been faithful, unfaithful last week. Uh, we, we all struggle with this. Why does it happen? Let's think about this for a moment. Why does this happen? Sometimes we struggle simply because the, the circumstances are just outside of our control, right? We said we'd be somewhere at 10 p.m. There was a crash on the road. Everything was backed up. We got there late. There was, wasn't really much we could do about it. We, we wanted to be faithful, but circumstances conspired against you. Uh, why else do we struggle? Uh, sometimes we just forget, don't we? We promised to do something, but we, we forgot about it. We are fallible. It happens. But actually, we're not talking about these sort of circumstances, are we? Because in both of those instances, we wanted to be faithful. We just ended up being. Uh, other times, we, we struggle to be faithful or a bit more complex. So even though you, you wanted to be faithful, you might say that, that other sins prevented us from doing that. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, sometimes we say yes to everything, right? We, we say yes to everything, but then we can't make our commitments. Why does that happen? Well, why do we say yes to everything? Sometimes it's because we want to prove ourselves to others. And so at that point, we, we don't trust that we're valuable because of Jesus. Instead, we, we just keep trying to prove ourselves to others by taking on more and more things. Sometimes we, we don't meet our commitments because we procrastinate, right? Um, that can happen for two reasons. Sometimes it's, it's just because of pride. When we're faced with something that we, we know is going to be difficult for us, uh, something that we know that we're going to struggle with, this is going to be hard work. We avoid it because we don't want to go through that hit to our self-esteem when we struggle to do it. We don't want to face the, the possibility that we might not be able to do this, that we might fail. And so instead, we, we look for the easy things, the things that we know that we can do, that will boost our confidence. And again, at that point, we're, we're, we struggle to trust that it's because of Jesus that we're valuable. The other reason we procrastinate is because of pleasure. You know, we, we know what we should do, we know what we agreed to do, but we're drawn away from doing that because, you know, we love TV, um, Celebrity Apprentice. Uh, we love Instagram, we love baking, whether that's in the sun or in the oven. We, we love things more than we should, you know. Our loves are disordered. Another reason we're not faithful is because we fear the wrong things. Um, I remember talking to a friend who, who didn't know what to do. His wife had just accepted a job, actually she'd been in the job for a couple of months, but it had taken her a long time to find a job after graduating. But soon she was being pressured by her boss to sign off on things that weren't done properly, to certify that checks were made that, that had not actually been made. Why'd she do that? Well, it's because she feared her boss. She thought that as a Christian, she needed to be a good employee and just do everything the boss said. She feared the wrong thing. We had to fear God before all. 
such that if anyone asks us to do anything that contradicts with what God would have us do, then we are to be faithful to him. He, he is number one. We fear the wrong thing. Another reason why we're not faithful, we, we actually lack courage. We know what we should do, we really want to do it, but we don't do it because we, we don't have the courage to, to speak. We, we lack the courage to act. And, and that happens because even though we trust God to save us, we don't trust him in every aspect of our lives. Well, there's just a few reasons why we struggle to be faithful. Reasons why we, we struggle to follow through on things that we said we would do. But actually, those examples are not ones I really want to dwell on. I don't want to talk about the times that we want to be faithful, but we, we just can't for whatever reason. I want to zoom in on the times that we're not faithful because we don't want to be faithful. Um, you know, you said you'd put the bins out, but when the time comes around, you, you remember that, but then you decide, actually, I don't want to do that. You could do it. There's nothing stopping you from doing it. You just don't want to. You said you'd send that email at night. But when the time comes again, you decide that you just don't want to do that, actually. Or when you said that, well, you know, you, you, can, you can fill in the details. Now, why do we do this? Why do we let this happen? Often I think it's because we reason that, well, actually, no one will care if I don't keep my word. And if they do care, well, they shouldn't because it's not a big deal and heaps of other people don't keep their word either. Uh, friends, we've got to hear what the Bible says about that. The Bible says that God is a witness to the promises that we make. And God cares if we keep them. Now, if that's true, then actually keeping our promises, being true to our word, that is a big deal. And so, is it true? Well, let's take a look at this idea that God is a witness to our promises and that he does care if we keep them. Let's pull up Malachi chapter 2, verse 14. So, the, the first passage that Carol read for us. There, the people ask, why does God no longer seem to look with favour upon them? People wondering, what is going on? Why are we out of step with God? And God replies in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Okay. Uh, notice what's being said there. When it comes to human marriage, there are two parties to this agreement, the husband and the wife, but God is also involved. God was the witness to this marriage covenant. And so in that example, God was very clearly not happy with the very casual way that Israelite men were divorcing their wives at that time, at, at the casual way. They were not keeping their word. Now, sure, that's the marriage covenant, but we, we see it in other contexts too. In Genesis chapter 31, verse 50, when Laban says to Jacob, remember that God is a witness between you and me. Or again, in Jeremiah 29, verse 23, God says about those prophesying lies, in my name, they've uttered lies which I did not authorize. I know it and am a witness to it. 
declares the Lord, which is to say that God is always a witness to all the things that we do and say. In the, in the words of Proverbs 15, verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. But more than that, God knows why we do what we do. As we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, God will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And so not keeping our word, backing out of agreements that we have made, just because we don't want to do it. Well, actually, even if the other party is used to that, even if that other person sort of expects that you'll probably back out because that's what people do, you actually do need to at least try to do what you said you would because God witnessed that promise and God cares if you keep it. And so in that sense, I actually think being faithful is its kind of simple, isn't it? You do what you said you would do. At the very least, you try and do it. But we should explore some of the nuance here. Uh, note, for instance, that it's only the things that you've agreed to do. So it's not the case that you must simply do whatever someone asks of you or whatever they might expect of you. Being faithful is doing what you agreed to do. And in that way, faithfulness is not the same thing as loyalty. Loyalty is being committed to a person. Faithfulness is being committed to a promise. And when we confuse those two, well, actually, you can enter a world of pain, can't we? Tribalism can rear its ugly head. So, you know, someone does something wrong and they deny it and they want you to back them up because you're a friend, because you're a buddy, because you're on the same team. And so they say to you, I can trust you with this, right? I can trust that you'll do the right thing. Well, at that point, you just say, no, you, you can't. I keep my word but I never agreed to lie. Loyalty is very different from faithfulness. Faithfulness is about doing what you agreed to do. It does mean, however, that we do need to think carefully about everything that we've agreed to do. Noting, of course, that some agreements, they're just implicit, right? Uh, So you start a job implicitly. You've agreed to listen to your boss, to reply to emails and so on. You know, to to not do that would make you an unfaithful, untrustworthy employee. That's how it works. There are implicit agreements when you accept a job, right? Um, That's actually the same here at Christchurch too. Uh, You join a ministry team. Um, Not everything's explicit yet. We are working on that, but actually there are implicit agreements. You know, you you listen to your team leader, you respond to emails or SMSs, um, and to not do that does make you unfaithful. Now, so many of us here are brilliant at that, but actually, some of us, we we need to hear this challenge about being faithful. Uh, Maybe implicitly or explicitly, the new authenticity has taken hold. So again, we've got to hear this call to be faithful. Um, Just on this, there, there is some truth to the new authenticity movement. Um, Behind that, the call to be true to yourself 
Well, there is something Christian about that, but not in the, the sense that people normally mean it. Uh, see, when we become a Christian, we're, we're not called to complete uniformity. God has made us the people that we are. And as the, the body metaphor reveals, actually our differences, our individual differences, they are good. And God wants us to express our God-given individuality in our service to others. God wants us to be true to ourselves in that sense. But actually, that's got nothing to do with not keeping our word. And so let's turn to that. What about when we do fail? And we will fail, just like all of the, the virtues listed. At times, we will fail. Uh, well, friends, the good news is that Jesus has succeeded where we fail. Jesus is the faithful one. Now, that, that is a, a beautiful theme in the scriptures. Jesus is the faithful one. He succeeds where Israel failed. He succeeds where we fail. Listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 3. Christ is faithful as the Son of God over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Jesus is the faithful one. He is who we could not be. But even though we fail, I mean, how great are those words in Hebrews? Even though we fail, we remain part of God's family. Because of Jesus, because if we continue to trust in him and his death on the cross for us, we will be saved. It's also what that that tricky section at the end of 2 Timothy is getting at. From chapter 2, verse 12, we read, If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now, that ending is really tricky, isn't it? Again, it reasons that if we are faithless, God remains faithful. But actually, it's just that same idea. There will be times when we fail, times when we are faithless, whether it be to God himself, which is what's in view here in 1 Corinthians, or or faithless in our dealings with others. There will be times when that happens, and perhaps in the background here is Peter's denial of the Lord Jesus, but whatever the case, even though we fail, God remains faithful to all those who belong to him, to all those who persevere, to all those who endure. So let's pray that we ourselves will indeed endure as God grows his faithfulness in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are faithful. Great is your faithfulness. And though we struggle to keep our word, Father, keep growing in us, keep changing us. Grow our love that we will more and more want to keep our word. And Father, help us to do it. 
And Father, we thank you for Jesus, the faithful one, our great God and Saviour. In his name we pray. Amen.